Soul is the rhythm of sex, and it's the rhythm of the factory too. The working man's rhythm. Sex in the factory. Not in the factory I'm in. There isn't much rhythm in gut and fish. <laughs> Soul is the music that people understand. Sure, it's basic and it's simple, but it's something else, something special. Cause, cause, cause it's honest, that's it, it's honest. There's no fucking bullshit. It sticks its neck out and sets it straight from the heart. Sure, there's lots of music you can get off on, but soul is more than that. It takes you somewhere else. It grabs you by the balls and lifts you above the shite. Welcome to part two of our Commitments episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron channel. And we also let them patrons know what they're missing out on. So, first of all, you know how it works. Ground floor, that gives you access to all the stuff that we cut out of uh, our episodes. Usually we run a little long, so there's stuff that doesn't make it to the final cut. But that doesn't mean that it's not interesting. It just means that it's not as relevant to the final product as uh, the stuff that does make it in. So... You're curious about that? That's on our cutting room floor segments. Available on the bottom tier, the ground floor, the Travolti's, $1. $1 also gets you access to our bonus episodes, which this month will increase by one as usual. And that bonus episode will be about the movie Paper Moon, uh, demanded by patron Ben Murray, who uh, gave us Jaws the Revenge just on the previous episode, and now it's giving us something completely different. Uh, am I correct in assuming the Paper Moon is well regarded, unlike Jaws Revenge? Uh, yes. Okay. You seem to be more familiar with it than I, than I am. So, uh, good. Paper Moon is on the docket for the August bonus episode. In addition to all the bonus episodes we've done since we started the Patreon, and also the special projects. Those are also on the Travolti tier. So, most recently, we had the Lindsay Lohan miniseries, Lohan, and we also had the John Cena versus The Rock maxi series, uh, and we also had our summer break little uh, escapade that we did with Alex's sister, Lillian. So, a lot of extra mm-hmm. stuff just for a dollar. Now, you want more? We have more. You can... Move up to the next tier, the Winonis, or even go further up. You get our pre-recording notes. You get our quick video reviews. This month, because I decided to be complicated and leave town for a week, uh, we're kind of scrambling. We're going to give you something extra because we have to record a dual quick video review for the movie Martin from George Romero, demanded also by Ben. And we also have to do a dual QVR for the movie Bones and All, requested by Jamie. But in order for it to be dual, we both have to be in it, and I'm not going to be around for a little bit. So Alex is taking a bullet. He's going to do a solo QVR, just like we used to do before the Patreon takeover started. And uh, and I'm giving him the, the movie. So he's going to watch Renfield, the the Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Holt team up you never knew you needed. That's on Peacock, Alex. It's barely 90 minutes. I trust that you will have an interesting time with it whether you end up loving it or hating it whether you want to or not there was a lot of advertising for it when i was in la so at least i have that nostalgia for it (laughs) we'll see i figured the runtime would be the biggest uh the biggest selling point and nicholas holt's presence would be probably the biggest downside when it comes to you but who knows maybe this is the one where he wins you over yeah we'll see uh, but yeah, Julio's going to the 49th state 
of the United States. One of the it was the second to last state to be factored into the country. So there's people still alive that probably don't acknowledge Alaska as a state. So have fun, Leo. <laughs> You're God. leaving the country to some people, man. <laughs> Well, that's a perfect segue into something else that you can get on our Patreon channel, and that is Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that uh, we're watching, listening to, reading, traveling to. <laughs> and yes, Alex, uh, we'll be talking about... Things we're doing about- in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Anything that's just happening that might be of interest to those of you who who decided to pay money to hear more of our our chatter. So uh, I I usually start by asking you what you're doing, but we're already here. We're talking about my part of the after hours, and that's going to be Alaska. I really don't know what we're doing in Alaska. I'm just following along while my wife and her family just tell me what to do. I've been told that there's going to be a lot of hiking. So I will have some hiking stories probably, but I also plan to <laughs> do stuff on my downtime, like reading and watching movies. So uh, I will tell you about Alaska and I will tell you about the things that I do there. Uh, what are you bringing to After Hours, Alex? Uh, I've just been watching a lot of stuff lately. So catching up on my recent August views and reviews, watches and rewatches, I guess would sound better. Just kind of catching up on what I've been doing this month. Such uh, greats as <laughs> Wally and Galaxy Quest. Some not so greats like Going the Distance, which is a fine movie. It's not not great. It's just Did you it's, turn on Going the Distance. I thought that was no, one of those movies that we both liked more than the average person. We'll, we're still there. The runtime is just brutal. And then uh, I rewatched Sideways last night which is a delightful movie. And I saw you only gave it three stars or three and a half. So we got a bone to pick on that one. Um, (laughs) It's all right. I I need to rewatch it. I mean, it's one of those movies that there's, I guess at the end you can root for Paul, but there's, I mean, Thomas Hayden church is really funny, but he's such a shithead. And I'm sure by the time we record, I'll have watched some more stuff. So just, uh, I've just been on a roll of watching movies lately. So just talking about that likely movies that, we're never going to do to begin with mm-hmm. because we're never doing what I'm never doing Wally. Like even I'll, <laughs> I'll refund a patron. I you just can't bring yourself to do it, to call it no. uh, pro weed propaganda. Like our old boss used to, used to do. He called it what? Uh, our old boss. He called it pro weed propaganda. Like it was How? because you know, the whole thing is about that, that one leaf. And he just assumed that that was marijuana. <laughs> Listeners, we'll give you one guess as to who he voted for in the uh, <laughs> 2016 and 2020 election. That that's ridiculous. That that is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, I finally got around to watching my Criterion of it, so that'll also be part of it because the supplements are quite plentiful. Good shit. So Julio will be bringing you know the tales of vacationing and travel. And I'll just be talking about sitting at home watching movies. So we t- we take turns doing this. We'll, yes. One of us will talk about vacation, and then we'll talk about just kind of hold it down on the homestead. And uh, so that's that's what we'll be doing. That is indeed. So if any of that sounded interesting, our Patreon page is where you need to go. Patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Check out our tiers. See if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. and $10 are respective tiers. I mean, come on, folks. $1 gets you in on the ground floor, and Julio's already mentioned some of the 
the meat and potatoes, the freaking and the veggies we have over there too, and the desserts. <laughs> a little something for everybody. It's a veritable buffet. You can go all the way back to our very first episode, in which we discussed both of our adorations for blue is the warmest color, and all the bonus episodes along the way, and you know the Big Macs, the big tier items, being the Roxena Mega Series, the Lohan Mini Series, uh, and as you mentioned, also the summer break series we did with my sister who's a teacher who just started a new job in education so go go give a dollar it's not gonna go to my sister it's gonna go to me julio but <laughs> we'll let her know that she is part of the machine um i'm just trying to figure out what the veggies are on our patron feed I'm thinking aguirre might be one of those the qvrs those are the veggies those are the veggies because you have to see us you can't just like sit back and relax and we don't have many commentary tracks, but I would say those are the desserts because you can't have too many. You know, you get spoiled if you have too much sweets. Uh, <laughs> so one dollar, probably like a dollar seven with tax. Just do it. You know, you want to. There's people listening to this right now who have been listening to the same fucking pitch over and over again, and they're getting sick of it. And the only way that it's going to you're going to feel better about yourself is giving us that dollar and listening to Julio just absorb and process pro wrestling using real life aspects to put on a show real life rivalries to to propagate and to draw money and also the places we go with Lindsay lohan my god and an addendum coming up soon for that uh for those who are on our patreon know what i'm talking about and that's it i'm just going to tease you with that if you're not on there you got to figure out what the hell we're talking about whether there's something <laughs> a post script coming up soon uh i just we do love and appreciate all our patrons, and we love the idea of having new ones. So if any of that sounds appealing, which it should, and we really take pride in the work we do over on our patron because we enjoy doing it. We enjoy putting out a good product also. So check it out. Current patrons, God bless. Love y'all. We're always accepting applications for new ones. It'll be approved quickly, and you will have access to everything we've mentioned and a whole lot more because we've been doing it for so long that we forget some of the shit that's on there right now. Check it out. Julio, that's our patron. I think now we need to get to what, what the people are here to listen to. And it ain't hard to handle for the seventh time in the same hour. <laughs> All you want to do is ride around, Alex. Ride, Alex, ride. All you want to do is ride around, Sally. Ride, Sally, ride. Not roid, Sally, roid. <laughs> ride Sally ride <laughs> alright the commitments we've committed to several bits during this episode and now this is where you get to find out if uh, if we're being genuine or not with our dismissal of this movie and it's various elements how do we start this Alex critics who didn't like it okay only a few people I have, uh, there were so few Rotten reviews that I have two reviews from Rotten Tomatoes, one uh, review from Letterboxd, and then, of course, we have Steven's uh, little note that he sent us. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to start with Peter Travers from Rolling Stone, who says, Parker keeps going for the glitz. He may have shot the commitments in Ireland, but his soul never left Hollywood. Is he calling Alan Parker a sellout? Sounds like it. Did this feel like a Hollywood movie to you? I mean, it's really polished, but its I'm not going to say it's not authentic for its demographic. Peter Travers uh, didn't buy it. 
Like that's <laughs> bullshit. It's not Ireland. He was the one too on the Wikipedia page for the movie. They definitely uh, cite his review as Peter Travers from the Rolling Stone. Do not care for it. Well, you know who else didn't care for it? Our friend Walter Gene Chaw. Siskel. <laughs> With Gene oh, Siskel. Walter Chaw. Yeah, Siskel was was not on the the Rotten Tomatoes page. He was like, I don't, I don't care. It's not that much hooey that I have to put a stamp on it. Walter Chaw from Film Freak Central. He says, groundwork for the full Monty school of condescending films about noble blue-collar Western Europeans who like their beer dark and their unemployment light. That's a lot of shade, uh-huh. Walter. <laughs> have you seen the full Monty? Not in many years. Many, many years. Like I can see the comparison he's trying to make. I think this is a little too mean-spirited to be effective. <laughs> there, there are, yeah, everybody in the full Monty is either on unemployment or on their way to unemployment. And uh, and they are, I don't know if they're noble, but they're very much salt-of-the-earth people, much like the cast here in the, the commitments. If that kind of stuff annoys you, then, then of course, you, you're in for a terrible time watching this type of movie. Uh, now, we move on to Letterboxd, to a one-star review from Connor Habib, who watched this February 3rd, 2021. And he says, Irish people idolizing U.S. culture is painful to watch in life and painful to watch in a movie or even a non-movie like The Commitments. It's worse that the actual idolization is not of American soul music, but of the cool dude who puts together a band. The music nerddom of people who want credit for the music that they've introduced you to because they're incapable of creating anything new. Throw in a series of montages and a Disney Channel-style production of sound, lighting, editing, and that's about as much as I can take. In spite of some great singing by Andrew Strong, I deeply dislike this movie. I mean, it is a polished movie, but at the same time, isn't the majority of the cast we're dealing with here, like, Irish and... First-timers? In many cases, one-timers? They seem really mad that it's a polished movie. (laughs) I guess, you know... (laughs) The settings and the lives that these people live aren't polished, but it's a, it's a movie. I want to see what, there's the, no, what does Connor have to say about the limits? And I'm not even that crazy about this, but I'm like now taking up arms for it because I don't know what it idolizes. It just shows that these kids are kind of stupid and can't see something good when it's right in front of them. Life is what happens when you're making plans. And in this case, you know, they're making plans to be successful and can't get out of their own way. And they potentially could be successful. So sorry, it's a polished movie. And I, you know, I should take uh, tread back some of the shit I said about it. it's an accurate presentation for its demographic. Maybe it's not. I mean, we don't know what Connor, where he hails from. Is he? Is he an Connor American? McGregor? <laughs> Connor Habib. In parentheses, McGregor. I, I don't know. Who, who knows? The, the Irish could reject something that looks this pretty and. Uh, looks this Hollywood because that one of the reviews did say ah, it's mm-hmm. too Hollywood in there. But again, even if they do, it's it, we're not electing the fucking Pope here. It's not a movie that's trying to do too much. It's just kind of like, hey, this is fun. Here's this movie. It's a churched up version of this novel that was written about uh, coming of age, a group of unemployed young people in the north side of Dublin, Ireland, starting a soul band. I mean, the premise of it's pretty absurd to begin with. So I don't know, man. Those kind of annoyed me. What's Stephen think about it? Well, Stephen Herbert sent you a message. That's what the Patreon notification said. (laughs) 
He says, this movie was a fun watch in my house when we were young and on rewatch in recent times was just as fun. The songs always stick in my head after watching it. Hope you enjoy it. But either way, I will enjoy you putting it over or burying it. P.S. You may need the subtitles on. Did you, Alex? I did, but it's because the AC was blown and our AC is really loud. My default is having captions on these days mm. because, yes, the, the AC comes on or the dog starts making noise or my wife is cooking. There's so many sources of noise. Or sometimes their accents are pretty thick and it's just – I'm not even from here, man. So <laughs> I, I, I need help. And I also – it's funny because I never, it's not like I have this problem when I go to the movies, but if I'm at home and I have that extra tool, I'll take it where I want to know every word that is said, right? If I'm going to the movies, yeah, it's pretty easy to get what's happening, even if you miss a word or two just from context, but I do need the captions. And in this case, I mean, I, I, I'm glad that I had them on because it, the Irish accent is pretty thick. I remember speaking of the Full Monty, the first time I watched the Full Monty without subtitles, I... I was kind of embarrassed by how lost I was because I couldn't make out one out of every five words probably was like, I was like, okay, I think I know what they're saying, but that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, all right. So Steven, Steven likes it. Sounds like Steven has some nostalgic attachment to it as well. It might be Alex, his empire records. That's fair. Cause empire records isn't a good movie either, but you speak of it so lovingly every oh, time it comes it's amazing. Up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so, just, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think, uh. Well, well, like, maybe we're a little white for that kind of thing. I'm not kidding, Alex. When this movie was over, I got on, on my phone and I Googled cultural appropriation because I wanted to know, like, I've obviously, I've known the term forever. I've used the term, I've joked about the term, I've heard the term bandied around, but I. I was like, if I'm going to actually bring this up, because that was something that was just bothering me, or not even bothering me, but just something it's, I had in my head. <laughs> and that's very noble of you and uh, something to be appreciated, because it's definitely a term that's thrown around a lot, a yes. lot. And I, I just wanted to make sure that I was using it at least somewhat correctly, because when you're making a movie about a bunch of white Irish kids who expressly and to the movie's credits, like it's not like they, they don't address it head on, right? At least part of it. They they do understand that they are singing songs that were originated and performed by uh black artists. And they're like, doesn't matter. And then they come up with, with their own rationalization of, of why it's okay. And so I wanted to, before I even threw the term around, I wanted to make sure that I had it right. And so don't give me that much credit, Alex, because it's not like I went into a deep dive. I just went to Wikipedia and I read the first few bits of the of the entry. Oh, man, like, you're not going to give us like a thesis or like a, a lesson here? I could, but I also guarantee that it would end up just on our patron. <laughs> it wouldn't make it to the, <laughs> the main feed. No, this is just, uh, I took three screenshots and we're going to get through this quickly, but I just, I want to set this as a baseline just so we can kind of like talk about it for a little bit and then we can move past that and talk about the rest of the movie. But I think that this is at the center of, of the commitments because the commitments made it so. Uh, according to Wikipedia, cultural appropriation is the inappropriate or unacknowledged adoption of an element or elements of one culture or identity by members of another culture or identity. So in this case, if you're looking at what we have here in the commitments, right, it is uh, members of the Irish culture adopting elements of another culture. Uh, 
you know, black culture in America. Now, is it inappropriate or unacknowledged? Definitely not unacknowledged, because they definitely acknowledge yeah. what they're doing. It says, this can be especially controversial when members of a dominant culture appropriate for minority cultures. Uh, you could definitely say, you would say, that black culture in America is a minority. These Irish kids... I guess a, a big picture, they are a dominant culture just because they're white. But mm-hmm. I, I could see somebody saying, yeah, but they're lower class and they're not dominant culture within Ireland. Uh, but I think that we kind of like split in straws at that point. Uh, According to critics of the practice, cultural appropriation differs from acculturation, assimilation, or equal culture exchange in that this appropriation is a form of colonialism. Those who see this appropriation as exploitative state that cultural elements are lost or distorted when they're removed from their originating cultural contexts, and that such displays are disrespectful or even a form of desecration. I mean, this is pretty... uh, dramatic stuff you know are they are these kids are the commitments desecrating soul by performing by doing covers of soul songs i don't think so but if a soul singer came to me with a passionate argument about it they would probably i don't know if they would change my mind but they would definitely make me think about it a little harder um is it disrespectful I think that, the, you know, their behavior as band as a band is disrespectful to each other and to their audiences, maybe. But I do believe that in the movie, they, they all love the music. Uh, I don't know how much they appreciate its roots, but I think that they, what they're, you know, it's like if you go and sing a song that you like, that usually is not a sign of disrespect. It's just you're doing something that you love. And then it goes on and says, cultural elements that may have deep meaning to the original culture may be reduced to exotic fashion or toys by those from the dominant culture. Kirsten Johnson has written that when this is done, the imitator who does not experience that oppression is able to play temporarily an exotic other without experiencing any of the daily discriminations faced by other cultures. I don't know enough about soul to know what brings the, that genre of music about, but... I also see how you could make the argument that black artists created this music based on very specific experiences. And then you have these kids in Ireland that kind of like take the shortcut to the finished product and then just play with it without really, I guess, going through where the music comes from. But maybe not. I mean, uh, Jimmy has a pretty, what I think is a pretty solid speech where he's telling all his bandmates why soul is important, why soul is what they need to play, and why soul works for the type of people they are, which is working class. Do you like that moment in the movie? Or you're like, fuck off. (laughs) I don't like you, Jimmy. It's okay. I I didn't particularly find anything that kid did to be too compelling. Um, Robert Arkins. I meant it when I said that line of, but I am the manager's like, dude, like the, the options of delivery you could have taken. You might have chosen the worst one. <laughs> well, um, let, me, let me close. I have one more thing. Okay. And then we can get into it. The black American academic, musician, and journalist Greg Tate argued that appropriation and the fetishizing of cultures, in fact, alienates those whose culture is being appropriated. But then on the other hand, uh, the concept of cultural appropriation has also been subject to heavy criticism and debate. Critics note that the concept is often misunderstood or misapplied by the general public and that charges of cultural appropriation are at times misapplied to situations such as trying food from a different culture or learning about different cultures. Uh, 
Others state that the act of cultural appropriation, as it is usually defined, does not meaningfully constitute social harm or the term lacks conceptual coherence. Additionally, the term can set arbitrary limits on intellectual freedom, artist self-expression, reinforce group divisions, or promote a feeling of enmity or grievance rather than of liberation. And I mean, like you said, just when we first started this thing, like that's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And sometimes I think because it's an easy joke, uh, but when it's a more serious accusation, it's like, is it really cultural appropriation? Like, I remember reading about somebody, like this girl that threw a, a party and it was like Japanese themed. And she was, of course, a white American, but it was like everybody was dressed in like kimonos and the, you know, decorations were Japanese. And it was like, it caused a big stink, right? And it's like the two sides of my brain where, on one hand, I just, I understand that it can be it's like kind of in poor taste and it in yeah you're not Japanese and you're you're trying but to me it's more like this kind of cringe right <laughs> not this is an affront to Japanese culture but then again I'm not Japanese so maybe I just don't get to make that call the, the other side of my brain is like she likes Japanese culture she likes the aesthetic of it and she likes maybe what it represents so why would she be drawn and quartered for expressing that love, you know, it, it, as long as it's in that respectful way? And I guess not knowing the details of that specific party, it, maybe it's hard to tell if it was respectful or disrespectful, but I know that the knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, but that's wrong. So with all that in mind, again, you watch the commitments and <laughs> there's that knee-jerk reaction of like, that is wrong. <laughs> this this whole movie is centered around these white kids uh, expressly setting out to play you know let's call it black music and the movie never reckons with it other than at the beginning when they're like oh should we be doing this and then jb makes a speech and they're like yeah okay i guess we're doing it and then nobody ever calls him out on it all this preamble alex is to say that i thought about it but it never got in the way of my enjoyment of the movie i i kind of get the feeling that i like this movie more than you did and i was having a blast with their performances enjoying the music and i had that voice in the back of my head trying to figure out if it was cultural appropriation and if it was a bad thing. <laughs> but it never got in the way of me having a good time with the commitments. Your turn, my friend. Tell me <laughs> how you feel about this. Sorry, that was a lot to take in there for a second. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be playing soul. See, the Lord told me the Irish brothers needed some soul. I think that where I would start is that there's some dialogue in this and like a particular scene that's just kind of like uh, like when he's telling him like we're the black people of europe it's like okay that's not how it works dude uh <laughs> but but they are young dumb kids so maybe that's supposed to be funny the naivety of it all um no they're playing covers and not doing it in a way that's like problematic at least from my vantage point it's just this dumb pipe dream that this white kid has of like we'll make soul music I mentioned the Black Crows earlier. Shake Your Money Maker is a fucking incredible blues album. You know, Black Crows were a bunch of white dudes. Chris Robinson, the lead singer, the guy who was married to Kate Hudson for like 10 years. Just whitey up there, but they're <laughs> pulling the music off pretty well. Hey, you know that What's Red whiter than being married to Kate Hudson? <laughs> <laughs> Why, uh, having Almost Famous is one of your top five movies. That's whiter than being married to Kate Hudson. <laughs> 
uh red hot chili peppers that was part of their thing when they started because they were white dudes playing funk and that was like what the fuck are these guys doing and i mean that's you, you got to go way back that's like even before give it away you know the idea here is not new the, the concept of white guys trying to play music that predominantly comes from another culture and you know to be fair it's not like you see a lot of white dudes playing tahana music or something like that but the the idea of seeing like who 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 couldn't see James Brown in his prime and be like, I want to be that. I want to do everything <laughs> right. that guy does, and I want to be exactly like that. And it's not a movie where it's like uh, a bunch of white dudes trying to rap or like sing about stuff that they don't really know about or doesn't come from life's experiences that they have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're just doing cover songs. And so that that part of it I don't think is too troublesome, especially because the idea in Ireland would be that this is like pretty foreign. You know, they talk about U2 and Sinead O'Connor all the time. That's yeah, that's whiter than porcelain. I would fully be open to if someone told me, someone who does specialize in soul or someone from a different culture told me like, well, I don't like this and this is why. It's I, I'm not going to write that off. But from my vantage point, it was all pretty pure because they don't really know what they're doing. They just kind of learn how to regurgitate these things. And with the exception of the lead singer who can croon, obviously. Uh, they're just playing cover songs and yeah that eye rolling dialogue aside that was not one of the things I really had much of an issue with when it came to this movie now it's eye rolling that, that little speech is eye rolling if you're taking it seriously if you see it as a comedic scene does it work for you because I laughed like when it when he went on to that I, I kind of laughed at just the, the gall of saying something like that uh, I guess I, I I kind of just like ugh, like I said something out loud like that, but I, okay, we we've gone too far. The thing I needed to lead with here is there is one thousand percent, one million percent, even uh, a period of time in my life where I could have seen this movie and fallen in love with it. If I saw this, when I was like fifteen or sixteen. I would have thought it was the the bee's knees, as the kids say. I'm just because an of old the man. story or because of the music, uh, the music, the story, the characters involved. Because, what's an example? That Empire Records is my thing. Because when I saw that for the first time, those people were older than I was, and I thought they were like, "What's cool?" And I thought like they understood like life better than I did and all that shit. So if I saw this, you know, uh, as a fifteen or sixteen year old or like seventeen, right about to graduate high school, and saw these people that were out of school and kind of struggling and scrounging to survive, that wanted something bigger and a bigger dream. Fuck yeah, man! I could definitely get on board with that. You know, it's not it's not poorly acted. So there's a lot about it to behold and enjoy. I just, I saw this way too late in life. And I don't think this is bad. I should call that out right away. I don't think this is a bad movie or anything like that. But I was watching it about halfway through. I was like, man, if I had saw this when I was in high school, like if this is a movie I drove to Buda and rented from like Blockbuster or some shit uh, and came home and just watched by myself while everyone else was asleep, I, I would have fallen in love with it. You know, the comedy of that is in college, like London is a movie like that. I saw that when I was in college and like <laughs> thought these characters are older than I am. So this is how older people talk. And this is, you know, people have their life together and shit. And this is, you know, this is part of being an adult. And then I rewatched it like, <laughs> so that would have been when I was like 18 or 19. Uh, and then rewatched it when I was, you know, 24, 25. And I was like, this is fucking stupid. Like right when I like got into like the real world, so to speak. And then we rewatched it, and I was yep. like, "Hey, man, this ain't that bad." <laughs> Jason Statham is trying. Yeah, 
and that was because it was through a different analytical lens. And I think that's the thing here. There's a point in time I could have loved this movie. And I had a good time. It's long. Almost pointlessly so. Because there's some of the sequences here that could be cut or shortened. Um, because they play the same songs numerous times. So the first song they played, they practice was Mustang Sally. So the last song they played should have been Mustang Sally when they put all the cards together and everything is like perfect. So I was kind of disappointed in that. But to go back to the original point that was being made here, I didn't see too much of an issue because it was done almost like in a tribute manner and not like a stealing this and repackaging it and positioning it as my own thing. And yeah, there's some hoots and hollers had in this movie. The Elvis picture above the Pope is brilliant. Needed more uh, Cole Meany, that's for sure. He does show back up there at the end, and he's in the crowd singing. Yep. He gets a, a close-up that is pretty endearing. He's like fully into it. He has two shots that made me laugh really hard. One is, I think, the first time he goes to see the band, and so he's standing next to Jimmy, and he's kind of vibing with whatever song they're playing, and then Jimmy looks at him, and Cole Meany looks back at him like, like, what? <laughs> of course I'm dancing. And then the that final shot and their final performance where you see him and it's just a close-up and he's having a great time. More comedy, for sure. We needed that. Elvis is God. So I guess we got the biggest thing out of the way. Talking about a movie like this in 2023 is something immediately that is not scrutiny, but people are going to... I don't think it is, but you could easily see this being one of those movies, oh, you couldn't make that today. You know, people talking about it that way. And I don't think that's the case at all, but... I think if you made it today, or at least if you made it in America, you could not sell it as a feel-good movie the way that this movie is sold as a feel-good movie (laughs) coming from Ireland. You you would need to make it so lean so hard on on it being satirical and just making fun of anybody who would be just foolish enough to try this enterprise. Whereas this movie is really cares for these kids, like for the band, even as they make mistake after mistake and they have pretty serious flaws. I mean, you can tell that Alan Parker has fondness for these characters, and I did as well. I I even, Alex, I will fight you on the, on, what's his name? I don't know, Jimmy. I, I think he, it's a good performance. I don't remember the delivery the, of that line that you were pointing out. <laughs> Hung up on. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I do remember just liking his, the way that he plays the character, which is very, he's just so professional, and I do I have a tendency to like those type of characters, the, the leader characters that are just very much about the business and keeping things together. And he's doing that. I, I like the detail <laughs> that of him really trying, even though he's mentioned before that he's attracted to Imelda, he, he tries to keep it professional and just his priority is getting the band together and getting the band ahead. And uh, I, I just feel like the way that this actor carries himself is, is very commanding in that sense right i totally buy that this would be the kind of guy that would easily uh, command this group of uh aspiring musicians uh, he has that confidence and he he has uh, the the you know kind of like the charisma to to pull it off so so i was shocked really when i i started looking up the cast on imdb and i was like man most of these people didn't go on to do anything i'm like was that because they were not interested or was that just because for some reason it just it was not in the cards for them? Did, did you look at the filmographies? Like obviously I didn't get that far because I didn't see that Bernie had been in Pulp Fiction. But after seeing a couple guys, like I, uh, the guy that plays Deco, like he's also like I think he has like two credits on shorts after this, and then that's it. Yeah, I didn't look over too much of that. But Cole Meany is definitely the 
well, yeah, the cheese <laughs> in this movie. Like the the guy who played Joey the Lips doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, man. We talked about Bernie and her Academy Award nominated outings, but uh, let's see Johnny Murphy's IMDb page here. Irish actor known for The Commitments, Waiting for Godot, and Remington Steel. It's like Ellen Parker didn't even call him for his next movie. <laughs> He's in uh, Angela's Ashes. I remember the poster for that movie and the VHS box art for it. I guess that makes it fun, is it is a bunch of people you don't see trotted out a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's hard to tell how talented they are as musicians other than uh, the guy that plays Deco. Assuming that that's him singing and they didn't dub him. Like, Did you like him as as a singer? Deco? Yeah, as far as the singing goes, yeah, the actual music was really good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't... I'm not that naive that I would think that all... that the cast is playing the instruments, <laughs> even if they went through some training. I mean, that's probably, you know, old up, but it seemed like i would like to believe that that's him singing and uh i i just i like the songs I, I i had a good time i didn't mind the runtime because i was anytime they performed even though yes it's the same five songs or something it was it was fun it's kind of like with that thing you do that thing you do i know i immediately killed my argument when i brought that movie because of course <laughs> that song rules yeah it gets played a lot and then they they pepper a few other songs with uh this one I don't know if it's an advantage or a disadvantage that they're covers, right? Because because they're covers, you're like, I've heard this before, so you already have an in, but also maybe because they're covers, you could say, you can compare them, be like, oh, okay, I've heard them better, done better, right? With yeah. that, something like that thing you do, it's all original material, so as long as it grabs you from the beginning, then you're, you're going to be along for the ride. So, of course, they have that thing you do, which is a banger, and then they... <laughs> They can just hand the rest of the movie on that. Uh, but that's... Dude, I've seen this movie twice now because... Uh, and I mentioned it recently on a different episode where when it's a movie that we don't know anything about and that uh, that I haven't even heard of, I try to watch... You know, have a one watch where it's just me watching it and then a second watch where uh-huh. I just take notes. And uh, the commitment seemed like a movie that I needed to do that for. So I, I watched it on Sunday, I want to say. Sunday, Saturday night, and I was surprised really because I started really late, and I was surprised that I was I watched it all in one sitting. I wasn't tired at all. I, it just kept me, and it was I think it's just because it's so fluffy, like it's just so lighthearted, and it kept me laughing. And it was just you know, there's a lot of music, good music that gives you long. So I was surprised when it was done, and I was like, and I was still with it. And then I rewatched it um, today just for the notes, and it was it was still the same thing because I rewatched it. I was able to appreciate just a few of the character details because it's you know it's a big cast. Like we joked about in Contreras Corner, there's a lot of people in this band, and the first time around, I mean, some of them stand out, but there's also a lot of at least for me, there was a lot of people blending together. So like the first time, I couldn't have told you who got electrocuted on that first gig. You know, and uh, and now I knew. I was like, oh, it's just like this is a little kid that plays the guitar that he recruits at the beginning, like his one of the two friends, and uh, and I could tell how throughout the movie there are instances where Natalie, the the girl that ends up with Jimmy, you know, she is checking him out the entire movie. I didn't pick up on that the first time, you know, not until she kind of hit on him, and so that's fun, and uh, just little things like that. I, I think it's a movie that on on sec on rewatch it benefits because you are a little more familiar with the cast so you can appreciate the little bits of characterization that they have 
uh, in the story. The first time you're still, the first time you watch it, you're just trying to learn their names. The guy, uh, Dean, the guy that plays the saxophone, you know, he has mm-hmm. he has a pretty fun evolution from when you first see him to what he ends up. He ends up being one of the most pretentious members. Like, <laughs> yeah, but like a, a solid musician. Yeah, yeah, he's a big, he's only a jazz musician too. And uh, like I knew where he had ended up the first time I watched it, but on rewatch, I was able to really appreciate like how he was actually pretty humble when they when they start. And then he has this sort of a relationship with Fagan where Fagan is mentoring him. You know, he is the kid that gets, gets the speech about imagine that it's someone's nipples. Yes. <laughs> it was funny. I did appreciate the contrast of what, you know who he was and what who he ended up becoming until the rewatch so stuff like that it's it's it does get better i think when you when you watch it again but of course you need to have enjoyed it a lot to want to watch it again which i did so i was i was glad that i was able to fit in a uh, a rewatch which is why i was i i felt pretty comfortable throwing out names when we're doing contrarian's corner because <laughs> i knew yeah yeah i was i was quite surprised you're much better at that than i was <laughs> yeah that is Following in the footsteps of you 2 and Sinead O'Connor, the Commitments could be the next major act to come out of Dublin. The lead singer has a voice Bob Geldof would star for. Now, do you, uh, do you have A, a favorite member of the band, and B, a favorite musical performance? I like Steven. Now, I had to look up his name, the keyboardist. I, I liked him, the guy mm-hmm. on piano, because he's the guy that goes to, like, mass or uh, what's it called? Confessional. And like talks about like you know the the sins he's committed and his touring and the lust that he has and things like that. Um, the first gig is pretty funny. The the banner with the heroin with the e <laughs> whited out is genuinely very very funny. That might be my favorite gag in the movie. So I did really appreciate that. So I guess the yeah the the keyboardist and then the first gig would probably be my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, I think uh, I like the first gig too, just because they do show how even though they've gotten confident in rehearsals, some of them lose that confidence as soon as they're on stage in front of an audience. Yes. And so you can see the three girls. The guy are keeps so fighting sure. puking. Yes. Yeah. That's the guy that ends up getting electrocuted. Yeah. That's <laughs> and right. then the the three girls are just not in sync and they're looking at each other and not sure in the, in that first song they I think they open with Mustang Sally. And yeah, I I like that. I I think that that's pretty memorable, and I also like the the final song when they when Deco gets on the mic and kind of like throws shade at Jimmy, saying, "Well, manager sucks." I think I like that intro. He says, "I guess most of you didn't get to the to the picket show, and so that's why you're here." Well, he was supposed yep. to be here, but our manager sucks. So instead, we're going to play one of his songs. That whole thing, I, I liked how it was staged. And then as far as my favorite uh, character, I on rewatch, I I really grew to to like Dean, the, the saxophone guy, just because I like tracing his his transformation. But overall, I like them very much as a as a group. I think that it's I think they do a pretty good job of keeping the characters for the most part pretty distinctive. And to where, when you get to the end, and it tells you, you know, what happened to everybody. This is what way they went on to do with their lives. It really feels like the fate fits each character really well, based on what we've seen them go through in in the movie. It had two different soundtracks. They had volume one and volume two. One came out in ninety one. One came out in ninety two. 
So there were a lot of songs in there. Credit to him. It just felt like to me that we heard the same ones over and over again. Was nominated for Best Film Editing at the 1992 Academy Awards. 1992 Academy Awards, Julio, you want to guess who it was hosted by? Oh, 92 is Billy Crystal. <laughs> I was about to say, it, it, you're, there's a good chance a shot in the dark is going to be right on this one. That so is 92 the, the year of uh, Dances with Wolves? No, 92 is the year that Silence of the Lambs took the big four. And uh, that's also the year Mercedes Ruel, Contrarian's favorite one for Best Supporting Actress. Nice. Let's see what our beloved commitments lost out to in the category of Best Film Editing. Oh, duh. JFK won that year. Oh, man. It's a very different movie with very different style of editing. Best film editing was JFK. Best sound effects editing was Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which should have won Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> and Best Original Screenplay. Dyson should have won Best Supporting Actor. Uh, he he goes for it. Yeah, you Can't say he didn't go for it. T2 comes out tomorrow. It's absolutely getting nominated for Best Picture. I mean, mm. fuck that. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you're forgetting that Avatar got nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, but it was in 3D. T- okay, I'm, I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> Elsewhere, it won Best Film at the 45th British Academy Film Awards. It won out over Dances with Wolves, Silence of the Lambs, and Thelma and Louise. Best Direction was Alan Parker beating out Jonathan Demme for Silence of the Lambs, Kevin Costner, and Ridley Scott. So, man, they were they went all in on this. <laughs> Trying to see if it got anything else. Best Production Design went to Edward Scissorhands. Why not? <laughs> Terminator got the same award at the British Academy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. It was nominated for a lot of shit. Writers Guild of America. It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. It was nominated for Best Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes of that year. Okay, I was going to be surprised if that hadn't happened. Losing out to Beauty and the Beast. Okay, well, that's fair. So why, why was... Dances with Wolves in the British, it must have come out because that came out right at the end of 90. So it won all the shit in 91. So I guess it went to the UK in 91 and then they counted it as that. It's just so long. It plays across (laughs) two years. It it took forever. (laughs) On a potential sequel... In January of 2000, it was announced that Harvey Weinstein had had acquired the film rights to the novel for Miramax and commissioned playwright Warren Lett to write a direct sequel to The Commitments with Kathy Conrad attached as producer. The premise involved several members of The Commitments pairing with new band members before going on tour in the United States. Where else? (laughs) (laughs) The opening number of The Commitments 2 is we're doing a sequel. Mercifully, the sequel was never produced. I added mercifully in there. <laughs> I want you on a strict diet of soul. James Brown for the growls, Otis Redding for the moans, Smokey Robinson for the wines, and Aretha for the whole lot put together. Alan Parker. 
Are you familiar with Alan Parker as a director? Because I think that the only other thing I've seen from him is the film adaptation of Evita that starred Madonna and Antonio Banderas and Jonathan Price, which is a movie I actually like a lot. It is very different from the commitments as far as what it looks like, right? Because it's, I mean, it is a period piece, but it, that's, I mean, you're, you're talking about, who was it? Uh, Peter Travers, right? Was saying, oh, you know, he never left Hollywood and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so Evita feels like a Hollywood movie. And that's not a bad thing. It's I, I like it a lot. I think the production design is great. Madonna is actually really good as Evita. Banderas is amazing. And Jonathan Price has a small role, but he's he's also solid. Uh, I like the musical, just to begin with. I think that they do justice to the songs and through most of my life, if I hear Alan Parker, I just think, oh, yeah, that's the guy that directed Evita. And I know that, you know, even when I went to see that movie, I knew that he was kind of like a well-known director. It was just somebody that I didn't, um, I wasn't familiar with his his other work. He did Fame. I've heard of Fame, but I haven't seen mm-hmm. Fame. Uh, was he behind, uh, what's that gangster movie that was made with kids? It has like Jodie Foster in it. Is it Bugsy Malone? Bugsy Malone, yep, he did that. That's him? Okay. He he did Angela's Ashes. That's why fucking Johnny, uh, what's his name? Johnny Murphy's in it. Uh, Joey Lips. <laughs> Joey Lips sounds like he belongs in Goodfellas. He really does. <laughs> Joey Tight Lips. <laughs> he directed the uh, the Wall, the yes. musical drama. Yeah. Okay, so that's another movie of his that I've seen. And then... Mississippi Burning. That's a movie I've always wanted to see. That's uh, Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. I've heard of it. He directed yeah. that. Yeah. And then Come See the Paradise, The Road to Wellville, Evita. And his last offering was The Life of David Gale. Ooh, I've seen that too. And that movie, that might be a zero percenter. If it's not a zero percenter on Rotten Tomatoes, it's definitely a, a zero star on Roger Ebert. <laughs> Roger Ebert's ranking. I can't remember when we talked about that, but there is documented contrarians discussion about mm-hmm. that movie somewhere. Yeah. Okay. So I've seen more of his work than I thought, but I, in my mind, he's always been a musical director and that's not too far off because look, the commitments is basically a musical. I mean, not a, a musical like Evita is a musical, but it is still a musical. And then I want to say Bugsy Malone also has song and dance numbers. And then of course the wall is, a I would call it a musical. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of makes sense that there was that one quote where they're like, hey, just stick to musicals because that's what you do best. Um, obviously not a fan of Mississippi Burning, that guy. I am curious to to watch more of his work. I You've just reminded me. Yeah, Mississippi Burning is something that's been on my watch list for decades. So maybe I should use my enjoyment of the commitments to to be inspired to catch up on more of his work. Uh, what do you think? I mean, you've seen The Wall, right? Yeah, in college. I mean, that's the most cliche answer possible, yes. Yep. <laughs> I know, based on, on this, The Wall, and uh, have you seen Angela's Ashes? Or do you just recognize the name? I, yeah, I just recognize the, the poster and the VHS cover. Well, how do you feel about Alan Parker? Do you, do you feel this is somebody that you want to give another chance to? Or are you good after the commitments of the wall? Yeah. I, I, like I said, Mississippi burning is something I definitely want to see. And the screenwriters of this also the Dick Clement, Ian Lafrenius. I, I am open, man. I'm an open book with these folk. <laughs> my, my issues with this movie do not prohibit it from being one slightly enjoyable and two, something that would turn me off from like, uh, 
any future viewings from the parties involved. Well, final question, Alex. A joint sequel for, so it's a joint sequel slash crossover between Empire Records and The Commitments. Terrible idea or dream come true? Awful idea. Max Caulfield <laughs> singing soul. No, thank you. <laughs> Not even if they get all of the original cast casts to come back. I mean, at <laughs> at this point. What is La Paglia doing? Well, getting Renee back would be the, the biggest hill to climb. She's an Academy Award winner, goddammit. Twice over. And Liv Tyler, what's she up to these days? Ethan Embry. Roy Cochran. It's just, it's too, it's too <laughs> big a pill to swallow, man. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> we can dream, though. And jokes, sarcasm, bits aside. Anyone who has an Empire Records, I get it. And like I said, this in a different life, in a different time, and in a different dimension, a different you know, timeline, this could be my Empire Records. So I get it 100%. Now, fundamentally, this is probably a better movie than Empire Records, but I'll never you know, admit to that flat out. I didn't want to put you in that position. That's why I didn't ask. But I, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I was wondering. There's just aspects about it that didn't work as well for me as others. But those that do, preach it. Preach it to the mountaintops because a movie like this is something that we need today. Not more white people per se, but just something, (laughs) you know, even though it's adapted, you can't say, oh, it's an original story, but just something, something that's going for something, something that's trying to convey like some semblance of happiness and emotion from a fucker. Like, get it. And all practical. All, yeah. I mean, Real singing. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> so, w- what's your score then? What are you scoring the commitments? Uh, I think a C plus is going to be my score. And again, people immediately think C is a negative. I have a college degree because I got a lot of C's, so I beg to differ that it's a bad thing. So, C plus for me, it'll two and a half, three stars maybe when I log this on Letterbox, but no regrets. This does not make me regret having a podcast like some of the other movies that have been chosen for us. <laughs> what right, about well, yourself? Steven, I'm going to be a little closer to your take on this movie. I'm giving it four stars. I, I had a great time. And it was just as good the second time around, which I think it's it reinforced how much, how much I was not wrong <laughs> for enjoying it. <laughs> Bring the pitchforks woke culture if if i'm wrong for enjoying a movie where a bunch of white irish kids sing soul but i think it was it was all in good fun and they're good at it at least as portrayed in the movie and that is something that i i think alex ultimately i gotta hate the idea of demonizing people for doing something that one they really enjoy and it's not harming anybody and two they're really good at and that's what the commitments are Again, like I said, despite the whatever problematic interactions they had among themselves, when they they can put on a show, they they were good. Like I would have enjoyed to see that band live, and so I really can't. I understand that it may be politically not even politically incorrect, but may politically shifty to to get fully behind their act and what this movie might be saying or not saying, but. I like it as a celebration of music and what music can do to you. What I do like a lot, like the scene where they start singing uh, at the bus. 
I know we made fun of it in Contreras Corner, but it was just such a, I'm going to commit blasphemy here for you, but it, it was a little bit of that scene in the bus and almost famous when they sing Tiny Dancer. And here it was just, you know, Jimmy just gave his big speech about why soul is important. And then slowly they start singing and they join. And it's just, it's a musical moment. You know, if you don't like musicals, it's a little harder to grasp to that, to the logic behind such a scene. But for me, I love musicals and that was just really good. And I, feel, I, I think that that energy spreads throughout the two hours that this movie lasts. And it's just, even when they're fuck-ups, even when they do really stupid, selfish things, what they do with the music is just is fun and it brings joy not just to themselves, but it brings joy to the people that are watching their their show. And that's that's good. It was such a good time. It was a really a feel-good movie. <laughs> Does it work? the same for really hardcore fans of soul maybe it horrifies them but I, i'm just scoring my experience so four stars who's sorry now who's sorry now any chance for me lads so what's on tap next what, what do we got coming up Ray Fiennes, starring in a movie written by james cameron directed by Catherine bigelow i don't know if they were still married at the time it's called Strange Days. We're going back to science fiction. Mid-90s? Late-90s? I think like a big plot point is that it's at the end of the millennium is around the corner. 1995. Tom Sizemore showing up, baby. Returning <laughs> to the bat. <laughs> Sizemore, Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis. I think that's My all God. I remember. Vincent D'Onofrio. Hey. I'll take it. All right. This is coming to us uh, from Sam Hurley from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. He, when he threw it our way, he said, you know, this seems to be another year where James Cameron is going to be talked about a lot. So how about you, you talk about a movie that nobody, not many people talk about that has James Cameron as, as part of it, of its history. So we'll do that. Strange Days. Look it up. It's on HBO right now. Or, or Max. So check it out and then uh, just be ready because that's how we're going to be closing the month of August here in, in the Contrarians headquarters. All right. Well, that does it for the commitments. Strange days on deck. Julio, we got any other business to attend to? Is it time to get out of here? There's no encore, Alex. We're out of here. <laughs> Good night, Springton. There will be no encore. <laughs> All right, so we move into perennial plugs and start off by giving thanks to the festive years. They provide our opening and closing tracks, kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rothieser, he's the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. That little tomato looking at himself in the mirror, that's the work of Hans. So if you like his work... Reach out to him. Tell him so. He's on Twitter, at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. And yes, I said Twitter. I'm not going to call it X until everybody actually calls it X. So we might be stuck with Twitter for a while. He also has an email address, Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. He has a webpage, Mildemonios.pe, where you can check out his other work. He has a bunch of novels that he's written. And he also has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. Thank you to the support of our friends over at LateNightGrin.com. Continue to help spread the word and allow me to go on there monthly and fill their airwaves with propaganda and advertising for the contrarians. <laughs> Recently provided a 10-year retrospective. We did a commentary track over SummerSlam 2013, which is my favorite wrestling event of all time. Be sure to check that out. 
as well as uh, the monthly show I'm on, Grin Grappler with them. I mean, check out all their shit if you're into professional wrestling. Uh, Joe, Matt, Oracle, Rob, they always provide humorous insights to the very humorous world of professional wrestling. And so thank you to their continued support. We'll continue to shill for them as long as they continue to do so for us. And in closing, as always, we like to give a special thanks to our social media team, uh, Corey Ari, Ms. Zoe Perez, the work they've done for us. is greatly appreciated. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, at Contrarian Prime on Instagram. Our Twitter or X accounts are in the bumper. You can find it there. Videos, graphics, whatever it takes to help make our shit look professional. They continue to do so. Corey continues to knock it out of the park with the quick video reviews and uh, warm-ups that he edits for us. And as always, Zoe's been there. She's almost like a day one as far as helping us out with this. So we appreciate the work they've done and continue to do for us. And as always, most of all, we appreciate you, the listening public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we'll catch you next time. 